This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. South Dining, Malcolm White here with Chef Enrica Williams. Good morning, Enrica. Good morning, Malcolm. How are you? I'm great. Happy to have you here in the studio listening to a little Herbie Hancock, Watermelon Man, this morning from DJ Java. The brilliance of (laughs) DJ Java. (laughs) You know, Enrica, I was curious about your name. I mean, I know your name, but I I got curious about Enrica, and so I looked it up, and it's an old Norse uh, word that means ruler of the home. <laughs> Complete ruler is, is what Enrica means. So I, I didn't know if you knew that. I did not know that. So, <laughs> so we're going to let you rule on this morning. And uh, we are sorry that Carol's out today, but uh, she'll be back, of course, um, shortly. So anyway, what's happening, Enrica? You, you come on occasionally. We get to catch up with you and find out about what's going on in your wild, wild world of food culture. Uh, what's the latest? Well, you know, first of all, thank you guys for um, asking me to come back. And Carol, um, definitely, I hope that you are resting and you are feeling better very, very soon. Um, as far as what is going on with Uh, Chef Enrica, Um, well, being a part owner, uh, founder of Magnolia Sunset Markets, shameless but not so shameless plug, Um, (laughs) we have been really busy um, with our markets and curating some amazing um, situations. Uh, I love to call it a situation. Situation. Yeah, because sometimes it's like an activation of a space. Sometimes it is a collaborative effort. It's just we're just really being able to um, expound on what the creative um, landscape is here in Jackson. Mm-hmm. So um, so we've been doing a lot of work with that um, leading into this weekend. Um, we are collaborating with um, the Ag Museum for their um, Pickle Fest on June the 11th. Yeah. And so we are activating a space and we have a very unique situation that we are doing and we're also going to have vendors and just all of the things that you expect with Magnolia Sunset Market, but we're doing it in a different location and we are just exercising some of our creative chops. So you'll have a space at mm-hmm. the Pickle Fest- mm-hmm. Festival at the Ag, Ag and um, Agriculture and Forestry and Aviation Museum. I'm sorry. It took me a minute to think of all of that. I know about the aviation part. I could see the sign in my head. <laughs> so that is uh, June 11th out at yeah. the Ag Museum. Yes. And uh, it's. I don't know if it's the third annual or the fourth annual or what, but I, I do know that the Pickle Fe- Festival is a relatively new idea. Mm-hmm. And I went the first year because I'm a huge pickle enthusiast um, because I grew up. Uh, in, in and around Wiggins, Mississippi, which at the time was the largest pickle factory in the world. And my first gig was picking cucumbers. So I think I am naturally tied 
to the pickle. So do you hate cucumbers now since you picked them so much as a younger Malcolm? <laughs> I hated them as a child, but <laughs> I love them dearly now. Okay. Anything okay. you do with a cucumber. In fact, McKee Waddlington, our chef down at Howlin' Mouse, on Thursday of last week, I think it was, made a fabulous cucumber and shrimp soup that was just mm. to die for. Was that chilled? It was warm, but it could have been chilled, okay. of course. Um, but, you know, the cucumber, this is the cucumber season, mm-hmm. uh, as it is uh, the tomato season mm-hmm. and the squash season and the eggplant season and the watermelon season. So we're going to talk a little bit about picking ripe fruits and vegetables as we go along, uh, because um, I've been fascinated on the topic lately. I've been bombarding Java and Carol with uh, tidbits about picking right fruits and vegetables. Have you enjoyed uh, Yeah, that, every that, time that, you get a different article, <laughs> I, I guess this is what happens. You get a different article or um, a website, and you send it in our group chat, and it's like, okay, Malcolm. <laughs> yeah, why, what's the point? But here's what happened. I was in Corner Market. A week or so ago, an elderly gentleman was standing over the watermelon display section, and he was lifting each and every one of them up with gentle care, putting them back down, rubbing them, and then thumping them and Mm -hmm. listening intently. And I was mesmerized by the process. And later, as I was making my way around the store, I bumped into him, and he had selected one. And I, I asked him, tell me. How did you choose this one? I saw you over there working the process. And he said this one was heavy, weighty, and it had a nice deep thump mm. when I thumped it. So, Enrica, talk to us a little bit about ripe water, watermelon selection. Are you an expert in that? I arena? am not an expert. Um, I typically, my dad was a really good thumper of uh, watermelons. He could go to the store, to a fruit stand, to a farmer's market, to someone's garden, and he could always find the sweetest ones. The thing that I'd look for is um, the belly. I think right. like the sun or it's supposed to be, have like a, a brownish, like a tannish tint to it. I guess that's right. how long it's been sitting down. It ripened completely, completely on the ground. Brown, so right. when we talk about, mm-hmm. you know, uh, field ripe or yeah, whatever the term is. But th- if you find a yellow belly, it yes. means that it ripened. It, it was completely ripened there on the ground. Yes. And so that's for me. Uh, but I always look at other people when there are things that I am not really um, the most familiar with picking the best. I always look at how other people's process, oh. I always, and especially like elder people, mm-hmm. because, you know, they know they know. And they may not be able to tell you exactly what the process is, but if you watch them, you can pick you up can on pick it. up on it. And it's like, oh, okay. So, um, so I always like watch and and I just kind of like, okay, I'm gonna do that, adopt that. So, w- what I got interested in over the past week or so after encountering this gentleman and thinking about uh, watermelons and tomatoes and squash and eggplants is the whole selecting process and i was thinking that we use we use our sense of smell yes to help determine this our certainly our sense of taste mm-hmm. if the vendor is willing mm-hmm. like at a farmer's market to cut a piece and let you taste the pears or the or, or the watermelon or mm-hmm. w- whatever they're selling 
uh, touch and feel yep. are, are very important. I, I see people touching and feeling vegetables all mm-hmm. the time mm-hmm. at markets, trying yeah. to get a sense for which one feels the best. Uh, so I think we use all of our senses in selecting fruits and vegetables, and maybe we don't even think about it. We don't, because, you know, for me, you know, we were talking about, or I think we're going to get into um, what is in season with vegetables right now. Tomatoes, to me, should smell like soil. I was going to say dirt, but yeah. there's a very earthy smell to it. I can remember that. As a kid, when you would go and you would see like the green tomatoes and you would go and pick the red ones, it had a very specific, earthy, clean, rainy smell to Mm. them. And sadly, when you go into the grocery store, you don't smell that. No. Um, I don't think any time of the year you don't smell it. Um, I like to smell it at farmer's markets. Um, And you can also kind of feel the sun like how it's ripened in the mm-hmm. sun like cause you can taste that right, that's right. why people I think like to have like a really clean sandwich with just tomato and mayonnaise and bread but my mom she would just she likes just salt and pepper if it's a really good tomato she's like that's all don't I need don't even need it right yeah yeah well, there's so many vegetables to choose from uh, being here in the deep south uh, this time of year. It's so exciting to me to uh, get my hands on eggplants and squash and mm-hmm. peppers. Oh, my gosh, the peppers. Mm-hmm. And and selecting uh, squash. You know, you don't want a squash to be too soft and you don't want it to be too hard. Because mm-hmm. if it's too hard, it's not ripe. And if it's too soft, it's, it's past its prime. Yes. Uh, but... You know, using all of our senses to select fruits and vegetables uh, is a really important thing. And, and I, I know I mentioned smell, touch, taste, feel, because um, all of those are important. And, and in some places, they won't let you touch the right. produce. Which they is, will not. Yeah. Maybe it's a safety or I health think so. concern. Yeah. But I don't like that. I, like I to, don't either. To touch them. Like Where I are these places? You talking about a grocery store? No, some markets. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, okay. They don't want you touching everything. Maybe it was a COVID thing. I don't know. I don't know. Because I, I thought to, that was a part of the process. It is a, a part bit. of the process. I went to um, a market. Well, this was in another country, and um, and they had signs about the tomatoes and the herbs, and it was like written. In English, do not touch. <laughs> because we love to touch. Yeah, how the Americans just are. like, do not touch. And so they were. You got to watch them. They'll grope your right. vegetables. <laughs> and I just thought that was funny because it wasn't in Italian. It was actually in English. And it was like, do not touch. <laughs> so, but there was someone there, and she would, you know, assist you, and she would help you. But there was just very. I, I think it was a lot of the groping and the mishandling of mm-hmm. the fruits and yeah. vegetables. And they probably said, you know what? We're going to put a stop to this because we're not going to be accosting our vegetables <laughs> <laughs> for other people to buy and enjoy. So what's going on with FaunaWorks, your other business Oh, my enterprise? goodness. So, oh, I, oh, wow. I like the way that sounds. Um, uh, so fauna, 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 fauna. So we have been... Whew, um, Making a lots of street dogs. Yeah, we've been making lots of street dogs. We've been doing a lot of market work, and that's been fun because we're trying to like find some our sea legs about um, participating in markets. But I have not had a fauna dinner yet, and that's crazy because it's like June, and typically hmm. I try to do like four yeah. a year. But I've been busy, thankfully, 
and um, gratefully um, where I've had to focus on other things. But coming up, um, there are a couple of um, curated spaces that I've been invited to do in other parts of the country. And one um, is at the end of the year outside of the country where I'll be able to, uh, for a small group, do an amazing dinner. But, um, yeah, I'm I'm working. I have a lot of imagination-type ideas that I want to put into reality. So we're working. It's, 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 a, it's an interesting process for me for Fauna and Chef Enrica. Like, I'm doing more Chef Enrica stuff such as this and talking about food and being a part of exhibits right. and things like that. And those are the things that I just want to kind of integrate more for myself, uh, fauna as a um, as a, as an experience with food and using food as a medium to express myself. So, so yeah. we've been busy doing all of the we've above. We've been all of the above and playing with food still, as always. We're definitely still playing with food. And back in March, she um, catered my father's birthday party. Oh, well, was, let's do hear about the menu. <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't think I said it on. Uh, yeah, it was the um, uh, blackened catfish. Um, mm-hmm. We had um, oh man, I don't. I, I, I'm trying. Yeah, I'm trying to remember everything. I know it was good, like a hundred thousand percent. It was good, but the black and catfish. Um, oh man, it was so. Come on, Enrique, help him. You can't remember. I can't yeah, remember. You know, yeah, but it, it, it was one of a many days. She, you know, but and that was black and, and that was no, it, was, it wasn't. It was some black eyed peas. It was black and catfish. I did uh, a. Um, a Creole, not a, like a cream sauce, but it had there you go. It had yeah, crawfish had tails. Sauce, yeah, I think I did dirty. I did dirty rice. And you did a, um, a, a your salad because yes. that was like from the start of the meal. Yeah, you know everything was like it was on and rocking, and everybody kept asking, <laughs> of course it was. "Who who cooked the food?" <laughs> everybody like hey, she gave me like the biggest kudos because I was like, "Yes, yeah, a chef I know." You know, because <laughs> <laughs> I know that, that Java was just like his dad wanted something like a Creole Cajun yeah. New Orleans style menu, so I wanted to kind of kind of zhuzh it up a little bit and give it like a little zhuzh it up. That you is, heard it that first. Is a, that is a culinary term that. Um, <laughs> We use, you know, lots, lots of times. But I wanted to give him something uh, just a little unique, a little special, and had some extra touches to it. It was a lot of fun to do that. Well, we mentioned Pickle Fest, June 11th at the Ag Museum, where Enrica will be set up and uh, showing off, as always. But it's also on June 11th, Enrica, in case you didn't know this, it's National Corn on the Cob Day. Yeah, I, I, I saw I that. I didn't know if you were aware of that. I, I just became aware of that about 20 one minute ago. <laughs> so that's that's a new thing. Yeah. Well, of course it is. Yeah. So if you want to feature corn on the cob at your you know, your event, this might be perfect. That, you could yeah. really make two points in one. That's a good idea. And yes, today is Monday and this is Deep South Dining, but tomorrow is Tuesday. It's election day. Java. Oh, Java's on the phone. But we got an interesting email uh, about elections in Australia. Mm. where they actually are allowed to cook at the polling places to encourage people to come out and vote. Mm-hmm. We we can't even furnish water in America. Isn't that something? But in Australia, Java, 
Uh, they, they cook sausages at the polling place, and we got an email this past week about just such a thing. Yeah, we got an email, and it, it was just so odd because we are so restricted on what we can do with our uh, voting places or whatever. But it talks about democracy sausage. Say, have you heard about the democracy? Well, first, let me start off. Good morning. Love the show. Um, have you heard about the democracy sausage? They're a tradition in Australia. They're local service groups, sports clubs, PTAs, volunteer fire brigades, hold fundraisers outside polling places, serving grilled sausage, grilled onions, etc. It's now become a tradition where people go to the polls around lunchtime. And in Australia, elections are held on Saturdays. So they can get their democracy sausage, usually served on white bread with grilled onion, mm. ketchup, mustard to taste. And uh, voting in Australia is compulsory, and the democracy sausage is often the only platable part. Uh, oh, palatable part of the day. Uh, and keep up the good work, Stephen. <laughs> All right, Stephen. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for sharing that email with us. That's a great idea to furnish. Democracy sausages at the polling place. And don't forget, tomorrow is election day, Tuesday. Mm -hmm. Get out and vote and uh, uh, make make a contribution to a contribution to our democracy. All right, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to continue talking to our guest host, Chef Enrica Williams. We'll also be joined by the Gestalt Gartner. Felder Rushing is going to join us, and we're going to talk about edible flowers and whatever else uh, Felder (laughs) wants to talk about. Um, But make no mistake about it, we will talk. So we'll be right back. Stay tuned. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. Welcome back to Deep South Dining, right here on MPB Think Radio. Malcolm White with guest host Enrica Williams. Welcome back, Enrica. Thank you, Malcolm. I'm like a little Motown in the morning. Oh no, get you going. <laughs> All right, we've got the one and only Felder Rushing on the line, and uh, the Gestalt Gardener is with us today, and he he wants to talk about edible flowers, but I know he's got a lot of other stuff on his mind because he's about to cross the water. He's about to take a big trip. Good morning, Felder. Hey, Malcolm, how y'all doing this morning, man? Hello. Listen, I just, you know, y'all talking about food all the time. Well, I just want to let you know, there's folks out here actually growing food. I'm oh, at the okay. Yep, you've been to the Ag Museum. <laughs> and uh, behind the doctor's house, they got a herb garden. It's got uh, a lot of medicinal herbs, got a lot of useful herbs, got a, a brand-new culinary herb garden, a kitchen garden. Oh. And the master garden is working real hard. Everybody say, hey, Java. <laughs> oh, oh man, come on now, Felder. Come on, I got Enrica in here. I got Malcolm in here. It's not just me. <laughs> I know, but at the same time, I just want to let you know though that uh, that the folks up here, Master Gardens, are volunteers from the from the uh, Mississippi State University Extension Service, and they're weeding, they're planting, and they got a brand new culinary herb garden. That's got. That's awesome. I'm just looking at all sorts of different kind of basils and sage and lemongrass and. And uh, got okra and just edible flowers, too. So uh, I just want to brag on what they're doing up here. Anyway, I'm going to step over here because y'all are too rowdy. Say, bye, Java. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, 
anyway, uh, Malcolm. Yay. A question, a question came up the other day on the Gestalt Gardener from somebody who wanted to know about eating gardenia flowers. And I've never heard of that. Never mm. heard of that. Are you much into munching flowers? Uh, we were talking about that before the show, and I've, I have eaten several varieties, some successfully, some not. In fact, uh, I was sharing with Enrica my disastrous approach to trying to eat kudzu uh, <laughs> as a green. It was horrible. Yeah. Yeah. There's, well, they say hunger is the best sauce. <laughs> well, but you know, and, and, you know, actually, at the governor's mansion some years ago, they 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 served uh, kudzu flowers. You know, they have a almost like a grape like flavor. They're, they're in the same family as wisteria and have a a real. It's not really a flavor. You know, it's one of those things you you taste, but you really smell in the back of your mouth. Mm. But did it smell? Anyway. Was it a pleasing smell? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, when kudzu and kudzu start blooming pretty soon, you can't see the flowers like wisteria because they're hidden down in the leaves. But uh, it looks like an upright wisteria, and it smells like cheap grape bubble gum. Mm. Yeah. Okay. But uh, anyway, uh, Java had looked up something while we were on li- uh, on the air about crystallizing gardenia flowers, mm-hmm. about soaking sugar and drying them out. And I'm thinking that's not like a lot of trouble. Can't you just eat them? So what? You know anything about that? I don't, other than what Java has shared with me this morning. We were talking about different varieties of flowers that we could eat, and he mentioned the Yeah, because I know a lot of times with different flowers, uh, with roses and I think even uh, violets or something, mm-hmm. you can uh, you, when you dry them out, they get crunchy, and people top them with, uh, on top of cupcakes and on mm-hmm. top of other different pastries and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I do like this idea of uh, lightly frying uh herbs or herbs as you call them and using them as a, either a garnish or uh, as as a, an additional ingredient and enrica do you ever like use sage or oh yeah absolutely I, I actually love um some of the um the little blooms or the little um seedlings from herbs as they um when they're sprouting and i like to use those as um some sort of micro garnish for different things mm-hmm. um I love um, squash blossoms. Oh, yeah. I love oh, stuffing yeah. those yeah. or making those like into a butter or some type of spread or just using those and chopping those up raw and putting those in salads. But I love edible flowers and um, and their yeah, little yeah. blooms. A lot of people don't realize when you're eating broccoli, that's mm-hmm. a flower. Mm-hmm. It's a flower bud. Mm-hmm. Well, have you ever cooked or eaten daylily bud? I have not. I have not. What? What is that kind of like onion? Does it have an onion taste to it? I'm gonna give y'all a recipe because yes. I know you got a lot of stuff to talk about, and I gotta get back helping these master gardeners. But basically, any way you can eat broccoli, raw, mm-hmm. uh, fried, dipped, mm-hmm. any way you can eat broccoli, you can eat daily buds. What I like to do is roll them in a little egg batter with some salt and pepper mm-hmm. and a flour, and then saute them. But you can eat a raw a daily raw daily buds. To me, tastes like raw squash. Have you ever had a yellow, zo- uh, yellow yes. squash? Yep. It has that kind of flavor. And the light color is like the orange ones you see in all the dishes, the yellow ones. They almost have a lemony type of flavor, but the, the lighter colors have a better flavor. But anyway, raw dip soup. You can take a daylily flower, pluck out all the little flowery bits in the middle. So you have just uh, the petals. Put it in a compote, a little bit of sherbet, sprinkle some rose petals on it, and you've got you a fancy dessert right from the garden. Wow. So okay. Let me know. I'm thinking if they say they're hungry, just go out and start munching out in the yard. <laughs> <laughs> Grazing in the garden. Just That's going. right. <laughs> yeah. 
Anyway, I know y'all busy. I just wanted to, to throw out that thing about the edible gardenias and uh, and appreciate the opportunity to, to also brag on what the master garden. If you're ever up at the Ag Museum, look at the Dr. Serve Garden, and uh, they got medicinal stuff, but they have a brand-new culinary kitchen garden. That's fabulous. Well, Enrique's going to be there on June the 11th mm-hmm. for the Pickle Festival, so mm-hmm. she'll have okay. to she'll have to dip into the I uh, absolutely garden. absolutely will, yeah. I'll okay. be up there at the um, Wednesday just to start we setting a, up. So I, if I have, get a chance a little, to, we have a little sign as this is Santa is watching. Please don't take any plants. Okay. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, y'all, y'all have y'all have have a great time. Thanks for the opportunity. Man, thanks, thanks, Felder. That's the Gestalt Gardener, Felder Russian, nice. calling in on Deep South Dining. We appreciate that addition to the conversation about edible flowers. If you have an a special edible flower or edible plant that you want to discuss, we'd love to hear from you. Just call one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or if you don't want to call call on the phone, you can shoot us an email to food at mpbonline.org. And we'll add your contribution to the edible flower, edible plant inventory. So I've learned a good bit just in a short while here, Enrica. So Got to try those uh, daylilies. Absolutely. I'm fascinated about those. All right. We've got a caller. We've got Greg on the phone. Greg's calling from Brandon. What's going on, Greg? Good morning. When we were younger, we would always go spend summers with my grandparents. And I remember my grandmother always had tomatoes ripening on the windowsill. Mm-hmm. And in the morning, she would make biscuit. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we were always having was a sliced tomato on a buttered biscuit. Mm. Wow. Uh, that would be something even now. Uh, my kids don't like it, but uh, it's just, I guess it's just something we were growing up eating, and I prefer that over a sausage biscuit. Mm-hmm. And where, what part of the state did you grow up in? I grew up down in Florence, but my Florence. grandparents grew up over in Lake. Ah, so you were eating Lake tomatoes. That's right. What do you know about the Smith County phenomenon, the Smith County tomatoes, the Smith County watermelons? You see it promoted all the time. What's so special about the dirt in Smith County? You have any idea, Greg? I, I have no idea. If anybody listening <laughs> can can help me to what help is yeah. what is so uh, special about Smith County soil or why they are they brag so much about their tomatoes and watermelons, and I've eaten both, uh, yeah, and they're really good, good. They but are. I can't. Uh, I can't really figure out what the magic is in the Smith County dirt. Enrica, any clues? I have no idea. No idea. All right. Greg, thanks a lot for listening, and thank you for calling and sharing about the homemade tomato biscuit. That sounds fantastic. It does. All right, Lucas. Lucas is on the phone uh, calling about a condiment and how much he loves Enrica. What? Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Lucas. Oh, boy. Is it Lewis? Lewis. That'll Hello? work. It's Lewis Bruno, Chef Bruno. Hey, Chef. How are you? <laughs> it said at Lucas up here. Sorry about that. No, 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 no. They call me Lucas Brown. They got me different names. How you doing, guys? I'm good, but Enrique has turned red over here across from me. Of course. She probably looks like one of those good old tomatoes. She looks just like a homegrown tomato. <laughs> <laughs> I love that woman. She is my girl. Is she crying? 
<laughs> Are you Chef, in? Chef Bruno, I think you may have made you created a moment this yeah, morning. You've, you've shut her down. <laughs> That's the way to do it. That's the way. Two things, two things. Okay. One thing, I'm going to get on Enrico. I'm going to let her cry and wipe her tears so I know how she is. But first thing is, I had a friend of mine, he's a Cisco driver, brought me some tomatoes from Mississippi. He's from Mississippi the other day. And I died. It was the best thing. I haven't been to Mississippi in 10 years. I mean, I go in and out. But I haven't had a tomato. Bread, mayonnaise, a little bacon, black pepper, and tomatoes. Mm. Oh, my God. I had four of them. <laughs> and, I had, and I had one tomato left, and I told my employees, if you touch this tomato, I will fire you. <laughs> and they did not. They were threatened. <laughs> and let me tell you, the, the tomato and the watermelon thing, I think it's just the people. The people that make the produce, touch the dirt, whatever, I think that's the trick. Mm-hmm. That's the, the magic. I don't know what it is. Well, now and you're... For Enrica? Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. No, no, I just wanted to say, for people, for our listeners, you lived here in Jackson and had a fabulous restaurant for many, many years out in yes. the quarter, right? Yes, yes, I But did. you, you right. moved away, and are you in Texas now? Galveston, Texas. I mean, I have a restaurant in Galveston, Texas. Galveston. Yeah. But I follow you on social media, and so I, I, even though I don't get to eat your fabulous food, I at least get to see it and hear about it now. Yeah, they keep me busy. I still do my, you know, my Latin, Caribbean, Thai flair to it. And uh, I keep these uh, Texas people on, the, on their toes. It's not just barbecue, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. <laughs> So I keep them busy, and uh, they're fascinated. They love it. We're on the beach, and we have a restaurant there, and it's fun, and it's exciting, and you know. But it's nothing like Mississippi. I, I'm hands down, nothing like Mississippi. Well, we're always nothing. happy to have you back when you get good and ready. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and from Rica, the best chef in the world. She belongs to Mississippi. She is Mississippi. She's awesome. I take it y'all work together or just friends? Oh, yeah, yeah. We work, friends. We're, we're everything. We're everything. She, I mean, we, we've done a lot of things together. And when she needs me, I talk to her. I need her to talk to me. Well, we sure do appreciate you listening and calling in. And um, yeah. I'm going to let Enrico speak if she can. <laughs> she, you've sort of <laughs> rendered her silent here on the show. Yeah. <laughs> I think she's shocked to hear from you. Yeah. Oh. Well, say something, Rick. Um, oh. Mm-hmm. Um, Louis. Oh my goodness. Um. I. Mm, I don't. I don't know <laughs> what to say. Like right now in this moment, other than you know, hearing your voice, uh, and hearing Malcolm talk about your legacy here in Jackson. And it just brought back so much recall for me of uh, of of just talking with you, having access to you, just sharing things with you, venting, you know, just expressing myself. And it was always a space. You always yeah. kept space for me because it was yeah. tough. It was rough. <laughs> Ooh, it was lots of times when I just was like, you know, what am I doing? I have to be a psycho to continue this. And you said, of course you are a psycho and you must do this. <laughs> and so I thank you for yeah, that. I love you. I, I love you, too. Yeah. And she could cook. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, yeah, she can. Oh, my God. Louis, I put mascara you. on today <laughs> and to... 
and and now okay? it is it's ruined. Thank you for well, nothing. You are broken. I hope they can take a picture of that. No, no, they will not. <laughs> they will not. They won't. And Malcolm and, and, and both of you, it's caused big impact. I love you guys. You guys oh, I, I love you too, Louis. Thank, Thank you so much. much. Chef Louis Bruno, <laughs> a legend in Thank this part of the world. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for, for right. tuning in. Have a, Go ahead. Okay, great. Thank you. Have a great day. You too, Thank Louis. Thank you, brother. Appreciate Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye. If you're ever in Galveston, do you know the name of, of Louis' restaurant? Um, It's at a resort. Um, yeah. I, I can't remember the anyway. name of it. He sure rocked it when he was here in Jackson. Uh, fantastic restaurant. Many mm-hmm. people still remember it and, and sort of long for the for Bruno's that great restaurant. And he did a lot. They did. He and his wife both did a lot of work out mm-hmm. of Heinz Community College. Mm-hmm. Community work. I mean, they were involved in everything. They're always the first to say yes. Thanks so much to Chef Louis Bruno for calling in and completely wrecking uh, Enrica. Yeah, right here live. You heard it live. You on heard Deep it South live. Dying. Thank God there's no. Uh Okay, we'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll let Enrica get herself together. And uh, we will continue talking about seasonal vegetables. Uh, We'll talk. I'm going to get Enrica to tell the shoebox story about her grandmother (laughs) fixing the shoebox for her. That's a very tender story. Look at there. We're getting her again. But we'll be right back with more Deep South Dining. Malcolm White with Enrica Williams. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. Welcome back to the Enrica Williams Show. This is Malcolm White. I'm your co-host today. So happy that you have tuned in this Monday morning. <laughs> Don't forget, tomorrow is Election Day. So get out and vote and practice democracy. Um, you may say, oh, what difference does it make? But uh, I would be willing to say it makes a lot of difference. So mm. don't be shy about expressing yourself. This is how we keep this thing called the U.S. The US of A uh, on track and happening. Today, Carol's out. Enrica Williams is in. And we, we're really having a great time. We heard from one of her old buddies, uh, Chef Louis Bruno, called in all the way from Galveston, Texas. We are happy to hear from mm-hmm. him. Man, I did, you must follow him on social media. I do. I, I do. Um, Louis, we don't talk as often, but it's one of those things where when we do catch up, it's it's just it's a, a powerful thing. It is. And a I take it thing. you worked at Bruno's. I did not work okay. at Bruno's. Actually, I worked at Parlor Market and Louis opened um, Adobo around Adobo. The, around the corner. I remember now. And I remember when Adobo opened, um, I went to the opening and I had never met Louis before, but I'd heard all of this stuff about him, all these beautiful things about him. And so I was a bit intimidated because I was expecting like this personality and like you know people around him and he was very accessible he was very friendly mm. very open and so we just kind of developed this um this relationship he doesn't like to say to know that but he's like a mentor to me so a lot of a lot of his insight and his advice I would take it as as growing and, and helping me in my career so 
Cool. Yeah, he's family. That's that's fantastic. All right, we're going to take a caller. Uh, Melinda's calling us from Mobile, and she says she has wow. the answer to the tomato question. What's okay. up, Melinda? Well, this would be uh, in terms of my father's opinion, and we are from Alabama. Okay. Daddy always said, never, I mean never, put your mouth on a tomato until July the 4th. To him, timing was everything, and I remember those tomatoes. You know, the tomato is the love apple. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. In mm-hmm. literature. Yeah, but now the only thing I can get that's even close to what we used to taste are the little grape tomatoes, not cherry. Those, to me, are very sour. Mm-hmm. But the, the, uh, the grape tomatoes taste exactly like taking a bite out of a tomato on July the 4th. Mm. There you go. There's your answer from a, from a long-gone Alabamian who knew a lot about food. Fresh vegetables are very important, as you know, in all of our diets in the South. Absolutely. Fabulous. And it tis so, the season, and we're excited. I don't know if the chef really knew about that or not, but that's absolutely the I, I did not, but that's, that's, so, that's so fascinating to hear because my grandfather was a farmer as well, and I remember his advice about collard greens, not to eat them until the first frost hit them. And I still like hold that, yeah, and so yeah, it's because they're. Mm-hmm. And so hearing that about not eating the tomatoes until July the fourth, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it does make sense mm-hmm. because um, I don't know what the soil does and all of that mm-hmm. stuff. However, and my dad was not a farmer, but he was born and reared in Standing Rock, Alabama, very near Birmingham. Mm-hmm. And of course, yeah. that when that town died. Uh, they had to move all of their records to Birmingham, so mm-hmm. I was born there. So it's uh, not in Standing Rock, though. You know how these towns just, mm-hmm. they just kind of go like the Old West. All of a sudden, yeah. they're gone. <laughs> wow. Thank you for well, sharing I, that. Well, we appreciate your show so much. It was fun today. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Melinda. Appreciate you listening over in Mobile, Alabama, where I have a lot of relatives, uh, the Negus family. And I spent a lot of time in and around Mobile as a child, out on Dolphin Island and fishing and eating great food. Uh, my my uh, aunt, my cousins, my goodness, they ate well. They That's were a beautiful town, too. Beautiful town. It beautiful is. Town. So, Enrique, I wondered if you would share your grandmother's shoebox story. I've, it's one of my favorites, and I wondered if you could wow. share it with us Boy, this morning. Y'all are, y'all are digging in this morning <laughs> to me. Okay. Um, no, so... Um, I remember my grandmother, um, when we lived, we moved to Jackson, or whenever we would go on a trip, my grandmother, who lived in West Point, Bessie May, uh, Miss Bessie is what most people refer to my grandmother. I called her Granny. Um, but Granny would always pack us food um, to go in this box. And so she would always, like, fry, like, chicken, or she would make seven-up pound cake, or just something I think that was um, that was transportable, but of course, being a Southern woman, there wasn't you weren't taking her good Rubbermaid and her good. Um, um, it was another I, I cannot remember the name of it Tupperware. You were not oh, yeah. taking her Tupperware out of the house, <laughs> so she would pack these things up. And as a as a younger Enrica, I always looked forward to that, but I always was puzzled like, why is this chicken wrapped up in foil, and why is she making us these packages? But you know, and this is in the eighties. I'm telling on myself age wise, but I remember the eighties. Yeah. yeah, I was I was a young I was a young child in the eighties. 
do your math and shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but nonetheless, so I, you know, just seeing that as a kid, I always just found that to be like a source of um, just like a comfort, but not recognizing until I was in my adult years, like where that stemmed from um, because of um, when black people would travel um, like by bus or train or just driving, there were a lot of places that were not integrated. And so you would want to make sure that you had food, something safe to eat in a safe space. So my grandmother had just always gotten into that rhythm, into that into the ritual of making us food, even though we still stopped at like Jack in the Box and we stopped at the fast food places because that was part of our road trips. But for her, she would always pack us this food. And so we would still wind up somehow eating that and managing to eat, you know, a uh, Jack in the Box burger, too. So that was just like a beautiful sentiment of my grandmother. And as I get older, there are lots of things that I recall from my childhood and just growing up and honoring that and just showing appreciation for that because it, it's still a a beautiful form of uh, resilience in spite of. And so that's what um, that's what the, the shoebox um, lunch for Granny is for me. So maybe someday we'll see Enrica's Shoebox Cafe. Who knows? You know, I'm actually working on a situation. <laughs> I, a situation is just in my spirit this morning. I'm working on a thing where I am um, diving into the shoebox in, in different ways. Um, so more on that at a later date. Well, while we've got you on a sentimental journey <clears throat> and talking. I can't take it. I can't. Well, I wanted you to share a little oh, okay. bit about Juneteenth celebrations oh, okay. and, and how to set a Juneteenth table and how to uh, how to get down with the with the Juneteenth holiday. So, so you know, first of all, you know, Juneteenth for Mississippians is relatively current or recent. Mm -hmm. um, Juneteenth is actually. It's the celebration of the freeing of the slaves. Um, they actually went to Galveston. They were, that was the last spot that knew that um, slavery was over, but the slaves didn't know until like four years later. It was four years later. It was two. It was two no, because it, it was like pulling, pulling my history card. But I'm sorry, someone can call in. Machine. Yeah, someone call in and give me like the specific dates of it. I know the sen the the sentiment of it. But um, so basically, what Juneteenth is it's base it's more of a um, Texans celebrated way more extensively than we did in Miss and we do in Mississippi because it was a regional thing. Yeah, it was a something physical that happened yeah. there. Yeah, and so I actually learned about Juneteenth. As an adult, I was living in Houston, and I was working, and this was back in 2017, and um, and it was, and it's a huge deal. It is a very big deal. It is, um, and it wasn't like a national holiday, but that was just an understanding. So basically, it's a celebration. Most of the times, it's in a park or a public area, but at the same time, um, the enslaved didn't have designated spaces to celebrate. So that's why a lot of times they were doing it at farms or at their homes, but it was a big deal. Red is a very significant color um, with Juneteenth. It's, it, it means um, it's about freedom and it's about strength. And so you have red punch and you have, they use the color red, red velvet cake. And that's a symbolic 
um, thing with Juneteenth, mm. having um, they smoke a lot of meats. I was going to say it's it's kind of a barbecue, baked it beans, is, yeah. deviled eggs, potato yes. salad, yes. kind of thing. Brisket, like lots of lots of, lots of Texas technique with barbecuing and smoking things, and then as as the news spread and as the phenomenon of celebrating Juneteenth grew, then other regions would pull in what their celebratory dishes were. Mm. You know, um, I did um, I did a Juneteenth dinner last year where we recreated um, a juke joint, and so I wanted to take the, the perspective of its its a, its um its origins in Texas, but how would that look? to be celebrated in Mississippi because we have our own unique and our regional spins of of food. Mm-hmm. So, you know, food is a very big part of it. Um, celebrating um, independence is one. Community is another element of Juneteenth. So it's, it's, it's something that is important that we acknowledge and that we commemorate. Um, but we do it in a way I think that's more organic and less commercial because now since um, it's been passed in Congress and it's a national holiday, people have like jumped on this, you know, this uh, this train of commodifying and just making it. A, it it's a commercialized holiday, right. you know, <clears throat> and so that's more important right now than the than the grassroots and the organic of what Juneteenth really is. And it is about food and it's about family and it's about community and it's about freedom and it's about celebration and it's about jubilation. It's all of those things in spite of. So that's that's my take on it. And what's the, the deal about the potato salad? So um, there's like <laughs> there's this running joke. Just I mean, I just think, I you know, even if you have potato salad at like Groundhog's Day, I just don't think you should eat everybody's potato salad because everyone does not potato salad the same way. Ah, you know, and yeah, I'm I'm not a connoisseur of potato salad. My mom is, makes great potato salad, but I've seen some. Ooh. I was on. I was uh, listening to um, Splendid Table mm-hmm. on Sunday, um, and if, for those who don't know, Deep South Dining encores um, on Sunday mornings at nine. Now, and uh, Splendid Table actually comes on at eleven. Another program that talks about food and culture, and um, they were talking about a Juneteenth celebration. And one of the running, like the running jokes with most. African-American gatherings, especially outside summertime, you're going to have some potato salad there, but there will not be a moment or an outing or a gathering where you, somebody does not ask the question, who made this potato salad? Correct. I mean, Correct. that question is yep. going to yeah. come up yep. 100% of the time. So, and, and then, you know, you just have to know who who made the potato salad because depending on who made it, we'll let you know if you want to eat it, if this is not your flavor of potato salad, because they're all different type of yes. uh, variations yes. and combinations. <laughs> Would one find a red kulikle at a Juneteenth celebration? The pickled pickles, so, the Kool-Aid pickles. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say yes for this reason. So Kulikul started in the Delta. And so for me, that's like a very Mississippi thing. Um, we're going to have Kulikuls at the Pickle Fest. There you go. Of course you are. Yeah, I mean, Mr. Pickle Fest. My, yeah. my mom and my sister, Kali, have been um, p- 
putting together been these pickles. They've been working on pickles, so they are pickling pickles now. Um, but I would say yes, um, because that's a very that's a very unique thing to Mississippi. The color is red. It's a it's a fun you know celebratory thing. I would say yes, okay. absolutely. All right, we got a caller from Waveland, Mississippi. Edwards on the phone. Hello, Edward. What's going on? Hey guys, uh, first time caller, long time yeah. listener. I love Monday mornings. Um, I just wanted to tell you what a great time I had. A sort of a foodcation in Biloxi, Mississippi this. Uh, weekend, my wife and I went to the White Pillars on on Friday and uh, had breakfast at uh, La Bakery on Saturday. Mm-hmm. They're just both fabulous, uh, t- top of the world. I, I loved them both. Do you have the eggplant Josephine at the White Pillars? I don't think they had the eggplant Josephine, but they had a they had a menu on the wall from 1978 that oh, had the wow. eggplant Josephine Let's for uh, I think it was a dollar seventy five. And so the bakery, no, you, you had the uh, Vietnamese uh, po' boys, right? I had the pastries. We were there oh, the for breakfast, but my wife had the po' boy. Okay. Uh, the pate and uh, mm-hmm. cold cut with the, uh, with the uh, banh mi dressings. We had two great pieces of fish at the uh, White Pillars and um, just a splendid time, uh, a splendid uh, way to spend, spend some time uh, on the coast. That's great, man. I love both of those places. One is Nouveau. One, you know, one is new, the Vietnam, Vietnamese po' boy and bakery, mm-hmm. La Bakerie. It's off back mm-hmm. in the back, close in the back bay over by the railroad tracks in Biloxi. White Pillars is a longtime established, well-known white tablecloth upper-end restaurant that has been closed for years and has finally reopened and getting lots of accolades and lots of attention. Uh, so... Did you find it to be uh, sort of a newer style of cooking or some of the old coastal stuff as well? Uh, we had no newer, I would say. We had, Susan had a, a great uh, oyster uh, marinated in coconut milk and cucumber called mm. Oyster Ceviche. Mm. Wow. I, had a, I had a gumbo, so I guess it's a little bit of both. And I've seen the I chef whose gumbo. name is escaping me. I've seen him sort of... Uh, on some of the cooking shows, maybe been nominated for some awards or something. I wish I could call his name. His his name escapes me, but I think he was nominated for James Beard Award. Yeah, I think he was, yeah. Well, Edward, thanks a million for listening, for calling, and sharing your Biloxi uh, culinary weekend. It sounds terrific. We appreciate each and every one of you who've called or tuned in this morning. Remember, as Java said, we are rebroadcast now on Sunday mornings as well as live on Monday mornings. Thank you so much, Enrica Williams, for Thank being you here for today. Being such an awesome uh, host, in Java. <laughs> we love having you, and we appreciate your willingness to stay a part of this program. Deep South Dining is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting's Think Radio. We are funded by generous contributions from listeners like you. Our show is produced by the one and only Java Chapman. I want to thank again Enrica Williams, co-host. Hope that Carol Palmer will join us again soon. I'm Malcolm White. Stay tuned now for Marshall Ramsey's show, Southern Remedy, followed at 11 by another show. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. 